sense. Um, tonight's class has been dedicated by Tiffy Perlis, Teferis M.S. Perlis, and this is in honor of a whole bunch of things. First of all, her engagement, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, uh, to Yaakov Menachem Kahanaman. May you both have, uh, have uh, built a beautiful, beautiful home. It should be a Binyan Adeyad. And the wedding should be b'shatoyvim and only only brachas 
to both of you. You should build a beautiful home and have a beautiful family with healthy children and uh, a house full of love, full of light, and full of bracha and mazel and parnasa and only, only good. On, oh, this is also in honor of her father's birthday. Um, mazel tov to him, Father Shelley. May Hashem bless him with a shnas bracha natzlacha, with only, only good and wonderful, wonderful things and all the blessings, both in the material and in the spiritual. And also a refuah shalema for her mother, Shoshana Chaya Bas Miriam, who's going to have a surgery, uh, upcoming surgery next week. So may Hashem bless it, should be successful and um, should bring the desired results and an easy, 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 quick recovery. And also for a refuah shalema for Havashira Bas Shoshana Chaya. Okay, thank you for that dedication. I should be um, only brachas in the family. Um, I do want to say we just got back from an unbelievable, unbelievable journey that I can't begin to describe. Um, it was the journey of our Sefer Torah. We went, I don't know if there's another Sefer Torah in the world that had gone and absorbed the holiness uh, that we've done with, you know, we're, that, that it has it has experienced. We began by taking the Sefer Torah first to the, we picked it up in Yerushalayim, um, then the Torah went to the Kosal Hamaravi uh, for its first visit, and then it went to the Ma'aras HaMachpelah, to the graves of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, and Leah, and Adam and Chava. And then it went to Cave Rachel, then it went to the cave of David Melech. Then it traveled up north, and it went to the cave. We were on the way to the Rambam, and we came across the cave of Rachel, the wife of Rabbi Akiva, which fits right now because this is Rabbi Akiva's time during the time of Sfira. Then we went to the cave of the Rambam, and then we took it and we wrote a letter. The first letter, we, the first letter we wrote, was by the cave of the Arizal in Tzfas. That was really, really, really something special. And then a letter was written at the cave of Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, which we're going to celebrate Lag Ba'aymer very, very soon. Then the Sefer Torah went to Rabbi Meir Balanes. Then the Sefer Torah traveled with us to the Ukraine, and it went first to the gravesite in Hadich of Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, in where we wrote a Sefer Torah. I mean, a letter, not a Sefer Torah. We wrote a letter in the Sefer Torah. Then it went on to Niezhen, to the gravesite of, to the gravesite of the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Alter Rebbe, of Dave Bear, where we wrote a letter over there as well. Then it went to the gravesite of Ramatul of Chernobyl, the great and saintly Ramatul of Chernobyl in the city of Anativka. Then it traveled on to Rebbe Rama Malach, the son of the Holy Mizritcha Magid, together with Rabbi Yisrael of Polotsk, was an, a student, one of the greatest students of the Magad of Mizrich. Then it traveled to Reb Sholem Shachna of Provich, the son of Reb Avraham Malach, the saintly father of the Holy Ruzhener, Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhen, the father of the Ruzhener dynasty. And that was a very, 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 very high moment. Then we traveled on to Reb Zevolf of Zetomer, the author of the Sefer Oyer HaMeir, 
one of the greatest students of the great and saintly Magad of Mizrich, one of the first Hasidic masters. And then we traveled to Bardichev, and we wrote a letter by the grave, by the site, or next to, in the shul dedicated uh, to Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Bardichev. Uh, we wrote a letter there that was a very, very powerful moment. From there we moved on to the Toldes Yaakov Yosef, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Pulna, the greatest students of the Baal Shem Tov, the one who recorded the Baal Shem Tov's Torah in the book Toldes Yaakov Yosef. It's the first Hasidic Sefer to be printed. The first ever Hasidic Sefer to be printed. From there we moved on to the gravesite of Reb Pinchas of Karetz in the city of Shpatifka, one of the other great students of the Baal Shem Tov, a colleague of the Mezritcher Magid. From there we moved on to a magical place, just the sheer beauty of this place and the horse and wagons. and It's like you go back 300 years and nothing changed. Horse and wagons still carrying like little bottles of milk and the cows and the chickens. And, and we all got a horse and wagon ride up to the Mizritcher Magid where he's buried next to Reb Zusha of Anapoli together with Reb Yudalei Bakoyen, both of them which gave, the, gave a haskama for the book of Tanya. Reb Yudalei Bakoyen is the author of the Sefer Oyer Haganos. We wrote a letter over there by Reb Yudalei Bakoyen by the Mizritcher Magid. From there the Sefer Torah continued on to the city of Ostra in which we went to a magnificent, most beautiful cemetery I've ever seen. Um, I, of course, am a Kohen, so I had to stay out, but those who went in, uh, it looked like the communists turned it into a magnificent park. Then just recently, they restored it as a cemetery. It was the gravesite of the Holy Marsha, the great uh, a commentary on the Talmud, the Marsha, of Shmuel Edles. Um, and in that same cemetery is one of the great students of the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Ebi is his name. From there we traveled to the city of Yampil, in which we went to the holy gravesite of Remichel of Zlochev. We wrote a letter by Remichel of Zlochev. What was very special was in each place where we wrote letters, we sang the nigunim of those tzaddikim that they authored, which they composed rather. And it was very, very powerful. From there we went on to Mezhebush on Friday, and we stayed Shabbos in Mezhebush to, to see... I couldn't go in, but to have the Sefer Torah go in to the holy, holy oil of the Baal Shem Tov. And the actual Sefer Torah being laid down on his tombstone and saying that we from Mayan Yisrael, with everybody who participated, is sending the holy Baal Shem Tov a gift. This special Sefer Torah was spectacular. I just don't have words to describe. Um, we spent Shabbos by the holy Baal Shem Tov. And then on Matzah Shabbos, we had Malava Malka. They restored the Baal Shem Tov shul to look exactly... They built it because the Nazis destroyed it. But it was rebuilt in the exact same measurements, in the exact same spot, and a replica of exactly what the Baal Shem Tov shul looked like when the Baal Shem Tov shul was standing. So to daven there on Shabbos, and it was written over there on the wall that when the Baal Shem Tov came... This shul stood already 300 years before the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov said that this shul was constructed to be right under the heavenly Beis HaMikdash. Even though you would say that's Yerushalayim, but maybe in the exile, 
That's where the Shechina was. I don't know exactly what, where, and when, and why. Uh, but that's the way it was. The, actually, the shul had been abandoned in the days of the Baal Shem Tev, and the Baal Shem Tev came back and he said, this is where the Shara Shemayim is. Maybe that's why he moved to Mezhebuz. I don't know. But that was the shul. So we dive in there Shabbos day. And Matzah Shabbos, you know, when you think about, and then you have a back room where the Mezritra Magid, it's like a small little back room, where the Mezritra Magid used to daven when he would come to, to, to Mezhebush, to the Baal Shem Tov. Then you have the front little corner, and it's a small shul, it's quite a bit smaller than our Mayan, Mayan over here. And to have, be able to stand right in front of the little Aran HaKodesh where the Baal Shem Tov stood, right over there at that very spot. It's really, really, really unbelievable. And to have a Lava Malka in the shul where the Baal Shem Tov had his Malava Malkas, and he would get into his wagon, and then the wagon would fly and go somewhere. By the way, when you're in Mezhebish, we hopped onto a horse and buggy and the wagon, which took us to the mikvah where the Balshemtiv used to dip on. So it had the same feeling as like old going in a wagon, and it was very, very special. But Mlava Malka was for me the highlight at 12 o'clock at night, 1 in the morning. They're making Kiddush Lavana outside the Balshemtiv's shul, and then writing letters in the Torah in the Balshemtiv's shul, right, for the holy Balshemtiv. It doesn't have any words. And then we had this incredible, incredible, en- enlightening moment when we figured out that what happened on this trip was very strange. We, so many people wanted to come, but it didn't work out for a lot of people for whatever reason. And it ended up, and then a few people were signed up to come. And they canceled, like very late, I had already signed up, they had paid for the trip, and they had to cancel for whatever reason. And then there was two people that signed up when we were, mamish, when I was already in Kiev, when we were already about to start, they came flying in from Israel to join. So it was very strange, and then we counted the people that were there. The entire trip, everywhere we wrote letters, there were 22 Jews, and there are 22 letters in the Aleph Bays. So there were like 22 Jews. It's the Baal Shem Tov Sefer Torah. And the Baal Shem Tov is the heart of the Jewish people. And the word Yisrael stands for Yeshishim Ribay Osiyas La Torah. There's 600,000 letters of the Torah. So it wasn't just a Torah traveling. It was a Torah traveling with 22 Jews. And there were five cancellations. And the thought that occurred to me after that was because there was five extra letters in the Aleph Beis which are the Menatzbach, Mem, Nun, Tzadik, Pei, and Chav. So they had to be connected, but not be there. It was very strange. And then, after we came back from the Holy Baal Shem Tov, and just to share something very special, after that incredible night, and by the way, I want to say to everyone, every place I went to, I asked, and I brought the pack of everybody's names, and I dove in for everybody. I didn't say everybody's names because there was tons, but I presented the the, 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 the the pack of names in every place, and I dove in that every bakasha and every request, those that were mentioned, those that weren't mentioned, should be accepted. And just like the inspiration initial of the Sefer Torah was that the Sehila Ratzah that the Sefer Torah should annul bad decrees if there's any negativity and only bring miracles for the Jewish people. This was mentioned in every place. 
But after we, Matzah Shabbos, and it was Sunday morning, and I was going to leave Mezhebush, and I really was supposed to leave the night before Matzah Shabbos. We had a bus, and the bus left. But my plane ride, my plane was canceled and was delayed for six, seven hours. So instead of going back to Kiev and wait over there, I decided to stay in Mezhebush another few hours. So without any sleep, hardly, like two hours, we were just rolling. We were on the bus for like 10 hours a day. Um, and so early morning, Sunday morning, I went into the Baal Shem Tov, as far as I can go, because I'm a Kohen. So there's a little room made for Kohanim that is right opposite the Baal Shem Tov's cave. It's very close. You can see it right across. You can see, when you're standing there, the window looks right into the window of the Baal Shem Tov's Ohel. And I'm davening. And before I start davening, there is a, as I walk into this room, on the windowsill, and I'll, now you see it's storming, it's, it's, rain, it's raining a little, it's drizzling. It's early morning, the winds are blowing, it's howling winds, very like eerie moment. And I walk in there, no one is there. And there is a book that has stories of the Baal Shem Tov. It says, Kol Sipurei HaBal Shem Tov. So I figured inspiration before I start saying Tehillim. I take the book and I open it up. And it says, one time the Baal Shem Tov was sitting and he said to his students, now is an Esratzah, now is a time of, of goodwill. Whatever you ask, ask, you can ask for anything you want. That's what I open up to. After the, at, the, at the conclusion, at the climax of this trip, that's what I open up to. This is an ace rut, so now anything you want to ask for, you can ask for. And I ask that all the prayers that everybody requested in regards to the Sefer Torah should be accepted. So we hope it's going to bear fruit above and bear fruit below. Then we went with the Sefer Torah last night to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Ohel in New York. We wrote letters over there. And... Um, the journey is almost over. It's probably going to go next week, Sunday, back into the, into the Rebbe's Yechidus room, private room, um, and come back here as a Hashem next week. I want to invite everyone, 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 to a extremely beautiful Achnasa Sefer Torah happening next week, Wednesday, on the eve of Lagba Omer, beginning at 7.30, in front of my house, that's around the corner from my Yisrael at 158 South Detroit Street. Um, it's going to be first begin with a outdoor concert with Benny Friedman and a lot of singing and dancing, celebrating both Lag Boimer and Achnasa Seifetoyah. And about 9.15, 9.30, the procession will begin from my house to Mayon, where this magnificent Seifetoyah will be brought over here. Um, so everyone, everyone, men, women, children, grandmothers and grandfathers and little, little babies, all the Jewish people, everybody should be there. This is a very big blessing for the entire city of Los Angeles, I'm sure, without a doubt, and I hope everybody joins. That's uh, only a tiny little bit of the story. The people that were on the trip, there wasn't one person that wasn't touched and moved to the core. People couldn't even talk. That's how emotional it was. It was like, and we're talking about the men, not even the women. The women, forget about it. 
but even <laughs> it, it was just on a different on a different level. So, um, but the brachas are for everyone. The blessings are for everyone, and um, I hope hope to see big, big, big miracles in everyone's life. Okay, uh, after that invitation, uh, let's learn something. I haven't been teaching for a while, at least not over here. So I'm excited to, to teach, and hopefully the work at Mayan will exponentially grow after this very powerful experience and great blessings. All right, we are holding now, this is Parsha's Emor this week, and it's the Parsha of Yamim Tovin. It's the Parsha of Yamtiv. I would like everyone to open up to a Pasuk because I am going to discuss a little bit of a Rashi. It will help if you look inside. So if you, can, if you have a Chumash, good. If you don't have a Chumash, uh, please go grab a Chumash. Um, this is in Sefer Yikra, Leviticus, um, Perek Chav Gimel, chapter 23, verse Gimel, verse 3. Okay, um, I don't have the same chumash like you, so I can't tell you what page. Again, I can say it's Parshas Emor. It's Perek Chav Gimel, chapter 23, Pasuk Gimel. In Parshas Emor, the Torah relates to us. In Parshas Emor. And I, and I also want to announce one more thing in regards to the Sefer Torah. Anybody listening to this year and this, and this year... Um, and or the CD or the sheer getting out, and you hear it, and you didn't get yet a letter. Uh, I I really highly recommend buying a letter, a word, something because all the blessings are there retroactively. They all take effect when the Sefer Torah is completed. Again, the blessings are in the Torah. The Torah is not completed yet. It's got like twenty five letters that we still have to fill in, so it's not completed yet. So all the blessings are brewing. They're in the making. So if you didn't get yet your letter, your pasuk, do it now. Don't wait so that the, the moment the Sefer Torah is finished, right before we take out the Sefer Torah and bring it here, uh, those blessings retroactively from all those tzaddikim, going back to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, all the way down to the tzaddikim of our generation. It's all saturated in that Sefer Torah. So do that uh, at your best you can buy a letter by going to Mayon Yisrael, find the Sefer Torah link, and get a letter. Okay. Um, so the Pasuk over here begins talking about the holidays. It says, Dabed al-Bnei Yisrael v'amart Hashem, these are the holidays of God. that you should call them This is the parasha where it teaches us about all the Yamim Tovim. Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, okay? Elahem O'adeh. Then it says, Sheishas Yamim Te'asem Alacha. Six days you should do work. Ubayayim HaShvi, and on the seventh day, Shabbos, Shabbos, and it is a resting, Mikra Kodesh, it's a calling of holiness. Kol Malacha Leisasu, all work you shouldn't do. Shabbos Hil HaShem, it is a Shabbos to HaShem, Bechol Moshe Seichem, in all your dwellings. So, Rashi is bothered by a simple question. We were just it just made an introduction that it's going to introduce to us the holidays. So if you just told us you're going to introduce the holidays, so why don't you tell us about the holidays? Pasik doesn't tell us about the holidays. It starts talking about Shabbos. 
Six days you should do work, and on the seventh day is a is a complete resting. So Rashi is bothered. Rashi says on the Rashi quotes the word Sheshas Yamim six days, and he says Ma Inyan Shabbos Eitzel Moados. What is the idea of Shabbos next to the Yom Tes? Okay, they're both a mitzvah pertaining to days, and days you're not allowed to work, but it's two separate things. Shabbos is Shabbos, and holidays are holidays. Shabbos is not a holiday. Shabbos is part of the system of time of creation. The holidays were added based on certain events in which we celebrate certain things that happened in Jewish history and the like. But what is the idea of suddenly Shabbos being listed over here? That's Rashi's question. So Rashi answers, this comes to teach you, anybody that desecrates Yom Tif, it's as if they desecrated Shabbos. And anybody that upholds Yom Tif, anybody that keeps it properly and celebrates it appropriately, it is considered as if they upheld the Shabbos. In other words, the reason why Shabbos is stated over here is to teach you that Yom Tif, the holidays, are like Shabbos. If you desecrate the holiday, it's as if you desecrated Shabbos. If you honor the holidays, it's as if you honored Shabbos. Now why do we need to compare the holidays to Shabbos? Because really, according to the law, a violation of Yom Tif does not carry the same severe punishment as the violation of Shabbos. A violation of Shabbos is punishable by death. A violation of the holidays is a prohibition. It could be a punishment, but it's not doesn't carry a death penalty. So someone might treat the holidays lightly. It's not so serious. So that's why the Torah puts Shabbos next to the holidays. To say that even though in terms of its punishment, it's not as severe, but you should know that keeping the holidays, it's the same it's considered the same like if you kept Shabbos. Violating the holidays, desecrating the holidays, it's as if you desecrated Shabbos. That's the reason why Shabbos is here. That's Rashi's explanation. Now, um, we know that Rashi is very, very perfect. Now, I'm going to be a little, it's going to be a little technical just in the beginning because we're going to analyze a Rashi. We're going to see the brilliance of Rashi. But not only that, we're going to come out with a phenomenal understanding about Shabbos and about the holidays. Um, uh, a, a, a very, very rich, but, but just in the beginning, we're just going to get a little technical with the Rashi, but please follow along. Usually we know that Rashi is very, 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 very meticulous with every word. Every word is so calculated. It was written also by divine inspiration with Ruach HaKodesh. So every word is not an extra word in Rashi. But also, the words that Rashi chooses to comment on the words that Rashi highlights from the verse are also very, very accurate. In our case, Rashi singles out two words, Sheshes Yamim, six days. Rashi quotes these words in his heading, and then he goes on with an explanation. The question there is, that we have over here today is, Rashi's explanation is not on the words of Sheshes Yamim, six days you should do work. Rashi's explanation and what Rashi was perturbed by and bothered by was not about the six days. Rashi is bothered by how come we're telling us about Shabbos over here. So he should have quoted 
not the beginning of the Pasuk, Sheishas Yamim, he should have quoted the words, Uvayayim Hashvi, and on the seventh day, Shabbos. Those are the words he should have highlighted from the Pasuk and explained why, what's Shabbos doing over here. Again, the question is not why are we talking about the six days. The question is why is the whole mitzvah of Shabbos related over here. So this is what Rashi should have highlighted. Ubayoyim Hashvi Shabbosayim. And on the seventh day is a rest day. And then made his quote and telling us that Shabbos is here to teach you how the holidays are equal to Shabbos. Very good. But he doesn't do that. He highlights Sheshas Yom. Where he's not at all commenting about the Sheshas Yom. His whole explanation is about what Shabbos is doing here. Sheshas Yom is only an introduction to Shabbos. Six days you should work and on the seventh day you should have Shabbos. Now we would possibly be able to answer and say that Rashi doesn't mean the word Sheshas Yamin. Rashi means the entire Pasuk. Rashi is picking on these two words because these two words are the beginning of an entire Pasuk that seems unnecessary, doesn't belong here. But instead of saying the whole entire Pasuk, Rashi just chooses the first two words and, he understand, and he's relying that you understand that what he really means is this entire Pasuk seems to be out of place. So he's picking on the first two words. However, you can't really say so, because then it should have said Rashi. What Rashi usually does when he wants you to notice that, he, that he's selecting and highlighting the whole, the whole Pasuk, he just doesn't want to write it all because of the extra writing, then Rashi usually adds the words, Sheshes Yamim V'goymer. V'goymer means etc. and the rest of it. Dot, dot, dot. V'goymer is what it means, and conclude. Here he doesn't put the vav gimel vav apostrophe on the top, which means v'goymer and conclude. He just says sheishas yam. Now, although sometimes we do find that Rashi, for instance, explains an entire subject and he only quotes the first two words. For example, when it comes to making the apron of the kohen gadol, it says v'asu esa efoid. You should make the ephod the apron. If anybody remembers from Pasha's Tetzaveh, there's a jumbo Rashi. Right over there, Rashi goes on to explain exactly how the apron was made. And he goes on to explain like, the next 15 psukim, Rashi's explaining in that Rashi. He says, if I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to try to explain the apron in every pasuk, you're going to get confused because you're not going to be able to put it together. So let me summarize for you the entire apron. And then later, you're going to see all the details, how they fit into each pasuk. That's what Rashi says. And over there too, he doesn't say, he quotes the first three words, and he doesn't put and the rest. So you see that some Rashi, without the word because since he's highlighting a whole subject, he begins with the first two words. You might be able to argue so. But the truth is, by careful analysis, it's not true. You can't say that. Because whenever Rashi does that, and he does it in a few places in Chumash, whenever he quotes just the beginning of something and he means the rest, even where he doesn't write V'goymer, because it means, it always, at least in the words that he is quoting, you have some of the content of what he wants to explain. For instance, by the words V'asu esa efoid, Rashi could have just put the word V'asu. V'asu, and you should make and, you would, and, that, and, and that would mean an introduction for the entire thing. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because the word va'asu you should make can mean a million things. He wants, to at least, he wants to at least designate 
and write some of the content of what he's explaining. So therefore Rashi doesn't suffice with the word va'asu, and he writes va'asu as a aphid. When you write va'asu as a aphid, you should make the apron, oh, now you know you're talking about an apron. Rashi says, I'm going to explain to you the entire subject of the apron. But you have to have at least a little bit of the content. In our case, in the word Sheshes Yamim, six days, you don't have anything about Shabbos. You only have six days. Six days can be six days you should eat matzah on Pesach. Six days doesn't tell you anything about Shabbos yet. It should have had at least one word about Shabbos in the heading. Because that's what he's explaining. He's not explaining six days. He's not explaining the weekdays. He's explaining the idea of Shabbos. What's Shabbos doing over here? Okay, most people wouldn't think of this question. But this is an important question. Rashi is quoting something and he's precise. Why is he, why is he using the heading for something that he should have used? The next question over here is, when Rashi does quote this whole thing, he begins first with the he begins first with the no with a negative and then he explains the positive. He begins first with the negative and then he explains the positive. He says whoever desecrates Shabbos. It's as if he desecrated I'm sorry, whoever desecrates the holidays, it's as if he desecrated Shabbos. And whoever honors the holidays or upholds the holidays, it's as if he upheld Shabbos. Now, we understand that Rashi wants to say both sides of the coin. But wouldn't it have been better to start with the positive and then go to the negative? First of all, in general, it's good that way. We always like to be positive. Always be, even if you have to say the negative, always better to go first with the positive. Number one. But even stronger than that, our comparison, in our psukim over here in Parshas Emor, the Torah is not talking about the desecration of the holidays. The psukim over here are talking about the, the keeping of the holidays. If you look in the mitzvah, of, of, when it says about Pesach, it says you're now allowed to do work, you have to keep Shabbos, you have to, you, have to, you, have, you have to keep Pesach. It doesn't say what happens if you don't. We know there is, we know that the desecration of the holidays, if it says you should keep them, we know there's a punishment. Fine. But that's not what the pasuk is, that, that's not what the verses are emphasizing. The emphasizing is the yeah, not the no. So, and also in Shabbos, it doesn't say over here anything about violating Shabbos, desecration of Shabbos. The Pasuk is saying six days you should work, and the seventh day you should keep Shabbos. It should be a day of resting. We only have the positive side of it. We don't have the negative side. So if we're saying the Torah wants to compare the holidays to Shabbos, Rashi should have started with what the Pasuk is comparing them in what aspect the Pasuk is comparing them. The verse is comparing Shabbos to the holidays in the positive, not in the negative. If you want to talk about the negative, because from the positive we know the negative. So you can say that as well, but at least you should have said first, if you keep the holidays, it's as, like, as if you kept Shabbos. And if you violate the holidays, it's as if you violated Shabbos. But uh, why, should he be gone? why should he have followed that order? Because that's what the Pasuk is talking about. It's talking about keeping Shabbos, keeping the holidays. It's not talking a lot at all about violating it. So the comparison in the Pasuk is in the positive, not in the negative. So why would Rashi reverse the order and begin with the negative when that's not even discussed in the Pasuk? Following two powerful questions. 
And the answer over here is really, really, really amazing. And that is as follows. You see, Rashi's entire question in our Pasuk has nothing to do with why Shabbos is stated over here. If the Torah would have just told us that on the seventh day you should have Shabbos, then Rashi would have no problem what Shabbos is doing over here in the midst of the parasha of Yom Tif, or the holidays. Why? Even like Nachmanides says. Nachmanides says that Shabbos is also called a holiday. Because it's a day where you don't work. So it's also part of, what does a moed mean? Moed means a day that's designated for God. Since Shabbos is also a day that's designated for God, Shabbos is also a holiday. So if the Torah would have only told us um, about that, if the Torah would have began and said, Kol yoim shavi'i, every seventh day, tish boys, you should rest, that's it. And it wouldn't have spoken about six days of work. It would just, Rashi would have no problem why that's stated over here. Because either like Nachmanari says, because um, Shabbos is also a holiday. Or even if, we, even if we say that Rashi doesn't want to accept Shabbos to be a holiday, a moed, still there would be another reason why Shabbos has to be here. In order to show you the contrast between Shabbos and the weekday. What's the contrast? You, you would be able to say that the reason why Shabbos is stated, to show you the contrast, I'm not sorry, between Shabbos and the holidays. What's the contrast? Shabbos is punishable by death. And... Um, the holidays is not punishable by death. It's a, or um, Shabbos, you're not allowed to do any work. Shabbos is called Shabbos Shabbosin, a double resting. You're not allowed to do any work, even like we spoke in last class before Pesach. You're not allowed to do even preparing your food. And the holidays, or most of the holidays at least, you are allowed to prepare food. So the reason why the Torah puts juxtaposes Shabbos next to the holidays is to teach you that there is a difference between Shabbos and the holidays. And that's why the Torah says it. So we would have no problem with Shabbos being stated over here. The reason why Rashi is bothered, what's this doing over here, is not about Shabbos. Rashi is bothered, dafka with the words, Sheshes Yom in six days. Why are these words irking Rashi? Why is he disturbed with the words, Sheshes Yom in six days? It's because, the question is like this. We're talking about Shabbos. Shabbos is arrested. Who needs to talk about the six days? Why do we have to tell you six days you should do work? You see, let me explain something. The Torah speaks about keeping Shabbos many times. Beginning with the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments in Pasha Yisro, over there we understand why the Torah has to begin with Sheshes Yamim, you should do work. Six days you should do work and on the seventh day you should rest. Because since the Torah is introducing Shabbos for the first time, and the Torah is telling you you should take a day when you're not allowed to do any work. A person will wonder, hold it, how will I make a earning? How will I earn a livelihood? How will I make a living? So the Torah has to say, don't worry. Six days you will work. Six days, most of the week you work. Shabbos, one day is a day off. So I understand why the Torah has to tell you six days you should work. And on the Shabbos you should rest. Or we can say, in Parshas Yisro by Sarah Sadibris, it, the reason why we talk about the six days you should do work is because you want to com- 
The Torah wants to give you the reason of Shabbos, like it says in the next passage. Because God did the same thing. What did God do? He worked for six days when He created the world, and on the Shabbos day He rested. So the same, and you should do the same. Six days you work, Shabbos you rest. So that makes sense that the Torah is talking about six days. Also, the next time, when is the next time we talk about Shabbos? Parshas Vayakhel, where the Torah talks about keeping Shabbos in regards to building the Mishkan. So over there too we can understand why the Torah makes an introduction. Six days you should work, and Shabbos you should rest. Why? Because since it's instructing us over there to build the Mishkan, it has to tell you, when will you build the Mishkan? You should only build the Mishkan during six days. And on Shabbos, what? You cannot build the Mishkan. You're not allowed to do any work. Even building the Mishkan, you're not allowed to. So I understand why the six days are mentioned, because we need to tell us six days you can't. Six days you six days you should build a mishkan. You could do work on Shabbos. You can't. So that makes sense. But when it's talking about Shabbos over here in Parshas Emor, over here it's not introducing us a new concept of Shabbos. We know about Shabbos already. Here the Torah is only putting in Shabbos because Shabbos is also part of the holidays, like the Ramban says. No, so it only has to tell you that on the seventh day it should be arresting. It's giving you a list. A list. I'm, I'm going to ask you a second. Does the Torah tell you on Rosh Hashanah, 364 days in the year you should work, and on Rosh Hashanah you shouldn't? Because it's not talking about the rest of the year. It's talking about Rosh Hashanah. And it's talking about Yom Kippur. And it's talking about all these days. So it wants to give you a list of all the holidays. Give me Shabbos as one of the days of the holidays. Fine. Give me Shabbos because you want to explain that Shabbos, you want to put Shabbos on one side and the holidays on the other side and show the differences between Shabbos and the holidays. Good. I understand. But who needs to talk about the six days? So again, the reason why Rashi puts the word Sheishas Yamim is because Dafka those two words bothered him. Sheishas Yamim. Six days. Because why are we talking about six days now? If we're coming to... It's if it's, and here's the answer. Rashi gives a brilliant answer why the Torah tells us six days. And this is so fundamental. This is so fundamental for our Shabbos observance. And this is so fundamental for our Yom Tov observance, holiday observance. And the idea is like this. Rashi's pointing out, you see, when it says Sheishes Yamim, Sheshes Yamim doesn't mean six days. Sheshes Yamim means an entity, a six-day period, which forms... Six days doesn't mean Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's like a bunch of days. It means there is a chunk of time called six days. Like Rashi says, whenever the Torah says, let's say, Shivas Yamim... Rashi says somewhere, it means a chunk, a seven-day period. It becomes one entity of seven days. In this case, there is an entity of time called six days. And here is the deal. In that period of time called six-day period of time, that's the time that God permitted work. Any time that is not within the six-day zone... Work is for prohibited. And I'll understand that a little better. That doesn't only exclude Shabbos. That excludes anything that is not included in that particular six-day zone. Now holidays, even though technically holidays can come out on Sunday, they can come out on Monday, they can come out on a Tuesday. 
It can come on any day of the week, fine, but it's still not in the six-day zone. Because the six-day zone is a type of time, let's put it this way, God created two zones of time. Mundane time and holy time. Anything that's not within mundane time is automatically forbidden to do work. So, see, it's not like, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. It's not like Shabbos is one day that's forbidden to do work. Rosh Hashanah is another day that's forbidden to do work. Sukkot is another day. Passover, Pesach is another day. Shavuot is another day. Yom Kippur another day. It's not, it's not each one of these days is a separate prohibition where God says, you're not allowed to do work on this day. That's not what it is. It's the opposite. Really, we're not allowed to do any work. We'll see soon in a moment, ever. God permitted us to do work only within the zone. When He puts us into the zone called six days, you can do work. Anything that's not within the six-day period of zo- the zone of time of six, the six-day permitted zone is in the forbidden zone. Then hold it. Then Shabbos and the holidays are exactly in the same zone because Shab- holidays are not part of this, that six-day permissible time. So it's not like the prohibition on Shabbos is different than the prohibition during the holidays. They all have the same prohibition. They're not included in the time that God permitted you to do work. The only time that is permitted to do work is this period of time called Sheishes Yamim. A six-day entity in which if you enter into that time, you're allowed to work. Anything outside of it is forbidden. So Shabbos, Rosh Hashanah, they're all the same reason. They're all the same prohibition. Even though the punishments are different. Punishments are different. Punishments for Shabbos, good. Torah gave a different level of punishment. That's a different story. But in essence, if it's not part of the permitted time of Sheish Yamim, and all the holidays that are mentioned are not part of that time zone, you're in a different frequency of time. And in that frequency and time, work is prohibited. Because the only time that work is permitted is in the Sheish Yamim. This is great. Now we understand why this is the entire introduction to the whole parish of Mayadis. The Torah is giving you, the Torah is introducing now, Torah is telling us about the nature of time. And it's giving a distinction. There is work permitted time that's within the six day period. Now I'm telling you everything that's not inside that six-day period. What is that? Shabbos, the first day of, of Tishrei, the tenth day of Tishrei, the fifteenth day of Tishrei, all, all the holidays, the first day, of, the fifteenth day of Nisan, and this, whatever, all the days that are prohibited. They're outside of the Sheishas Yamim zone. And if they're not in the Sheishas Yamim zone, they all have the same prohibition. That's why Rashi intentionally does not even conclude the Pasuk he doesn't put v'chul of a because he wants to emphasize sheishes yamim. The six days stand as an entity. Notice it. Sheishes yamim, the six days stand on their own. It's an entity. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's one existence. It's one entity of, of a zone of time in which work is permitted. That's why we understand why Rashi begins with whoever violates it. 
And he doesn't talk about whoever keeps it. Because the whole essence over here, what we're saying is, the Torah is emphasizing there is a six-day period of permissible time to work. Anything outside of that, anything outside of that, is equal. That what? You're not allowed to do any work. And the violation of that is a violation of this zone. It's violating the boundaries that God set up. God set up boundaries in time. There is permissible time for work, and there is forbidden time for work. Anything outside of these boundaries, if you're desecrating it, desecrating the holiday is exactly like desecrating the Shabbos. Because they're both outside of the permissible zone of doing work. Let's go a little deeper into that now. And understand the, the essence of that difference. What's the essence of the difference? You see, here's the idea. Work really is, can only come from divine concealment. See, God is the one who sustains all of the universe and all of creation. And God is the one who sustains each and every one of us and gives us directly, from His broad hand, every ounce of food, every bit of money, Every bit of life comes directly from God. First of all, our parnasa comes from Hashem. Not from the work we do. Secondly, our, our chayos, our, our life, doesn't even come from the parnasa, from the food we eat. God is giving us life through the food that we eat. But in truth, if we would have open eyes, we would see that it's not the orange, the apple the piece of bread that's giving us life. It's God giving us life. God sustains us and sustains the world. There is really no reason to work. The only reason we have to work is because God shrouded and concealed himself in veils and veils and veils and veils and veils and veils and veils. And because he conceals himself in many veils, he wants to make the world run as if it's working through some kind of a natural system in which life happens through natural means. And we are commanded to play along with that game. We are commanded to play along with that game as if we are the source of our life, our doings. We're commanded to do that because the Pasuk says, that God is going to bless you in all that you will do. That means that God wants to give you your parnasa, masquerading under the veil of nature, even though it's really, really just a facade. It's a facade. As I mentioned other times, that God Himself gives you every penny you earn, every bit of life you have, but God is wearing gloves when He's doing so. The gloves are nature. Now just like you would understand that if someone wrote you a check and they wore gloves when they wrote it, you're not going to attribute the success or the, the check that you've got, the money that you got to the glove. You understand that there is a hand inside the glove. And more than that, you're not even going to attribute it to the hand. You're going to attribute it to the human being, not the hand, not even the fingers, definitely not the glove. It's the human being, the essence of the human, human being who gave you a present and gave you that check, gave you the money. And that's the same with God. Every, every cent, every bit of life, every cell in our body is nurtured directly by God Himself. It's coming through veils and veils and veils. God is wearing a lot of gloves. Now, if you are stubborn, 
and you say to God, I know it's all you, so why am I going to play a game as if my, it's coming through having my business open, my shop open, my company open, getting a job, getting an education, doing all these things. I'm waiting for you to feed me. Because you're, I know the truth, you're the one anyways that's feeding the whole world. So why should I make believe as if it's this or that? Then, God forbid, a person might starve to death. Why? Because God commanded us that He will only give us the parnasa through the gloves. And if we're not willing to play along with the glove idea, which He really wants until Mashiach comes, then, uh, he's, uh, then uh, we, can't be, we can't be participants in this world. So if we want to exit, we can exit. And that would mean that the person will starve to death and that's how they will exit. But it's not that. If we are playing, then we're really getting our panasa from our business. We're getting our panasa only from Hashem. When does God want us to play that game? For about 350 days in the year. Or maybe, no, a little less. Let's say 320 days in the year. Be exact. I'm not exact. I'm just giving a number. Let's see, no, it's 50 Shabbosim, and then there's the holidays. Let's say for 300 days of the year. I'm not exactly, whatever. I didn't count exactly how many. The rest, and then there are times when God says that this game of me, of me hiding and you pretending as if you're getting, I'm not playing it those days. There are days, basically, time out. The game is over now. It's recent. Now we're not playing. If you're not playing, then what? The game is not here. The facades fall away, and God, God appears. If God is open, then what's the point of, of working? You're not allowed to work. And there's two reasons you're not allowed to work. First of all, by working, you're denying God in front of His face. If you work on Shabbos, you're saying, God, you're not the, you're not the master of my life. You're not the prince. Because God says, now we're not playing. Now it's just me and you open. So why would you insist on playing? It's a sign that you're not believing that God is really playing a game with you through the Parnassah. That He wants you to play along and make believe. Because if he tells you now we're not playing, we're not playing. So how do you get your panas on Shabbos? Like with the Jewish people in the month, they didn't even have to do anything on Shabbos. God provided them, Shabbos was panasa came directly from Hashem. Even though during the week it also came from Hashem. During the week you had to do work. Collect the month. Shabbos, no work. Shabbos, God is open with us. That's number one. Number two, when God is revealed... When God is openly revealed, when Hashem is openly standing in front of you. If you go and you do work, when God is revealed, so the Gemara says that when someone shows any bit of, of, of his or her existence, when you're standing in front of the king, when you're standing in front of the king, the only thing you should be doing is serving the king. Imagine if you come to visit the emperor. We don't have any real kings today to even imagine this. But let's say we go back 100, 200 years ago when there was an emperor who had real power. I'm not talking about like, today it's a different type of power when a, when a president is elected. It's a different, even though they have power, but it's in a different level. They don't have personal control over you or you or you. But when you had a king, who you disrespect the king could mean, God forbid, you lose your head. That's the way it was. So imagine someone has an audience with the king. We're going to mix modern time and old time. So imagine you have an audience of the king and suddenly you get a text. And you take out your thing and you answer the text. Um, whatever, you tell your wife, I'll be home late for dinner tonight. I have an important meeting now. So that would be the end of you. In front of the king, nothing else exists but the king. 
You can't show your own existence in front of the king. You see, Shabbos, all the partitions fall away. And the same is also the holidays. It's days that God has revealed. So there is no work. Comes Matzah Shabbos, what do we do? We make Havdalah, we put back the partitions. We put back layers. In the weekday, it's 100% permitted to do work. Not only that, it's a must to do work. Because we have to go along with the, with the game that God has set up. And there's no problem in doing work. Because in the weekday, you're not standing in front of God. God is not in front of you. Even though from God's perspective, He is everywhere. But God knows that He created you behind a billion veils. So you don't see Him. Let me ask you, if a king cast a spell on someone, that he's standing in front of the king and he can't see the king, and he's texting his wife in front of the king, would he be punished for that? No, because the king knows, I put a spell on you, you can't see that you're in front of me. What do I expect of you? In the weekday, God blocks himself from us. So therefore, in the weekday, he allows us to go to work. Not only that, he wants you to go to work. More than that, what happens if someone during the week, if the king puts a spell on people that they can't see him? Precisely because he wants to see how they behave when he's not there. And someone is a smart aleck and keeps on calling out, here is the king, here is the king, here is the king. And is ruining the whole thing that the king did. And he gets in trouble for doing that. The king wants to be hidden. You see, during the week, God wants to be hidden. He wants to see how we obey Him. See, I'll give the example of something like this. A king who wants to see his subjects, how they obey Him when He's not around. See, let's say He says, I want you to tithe all the money you earn. He's a very, very, He's a master king. He's able to make Himself invisible. So He comes into the farm, He comes into the businesses, and He looks over the books, no one knows He's in the room, to see if they're really paying their taxes. That's the great thing in the weekday, that despite the fact that the king is not here, they still care about the king and they pay the taxes and they do whatever. That's during the weekday. And then there is a time where the king wants to see how you behave when you're in front of him, when you do see him. So God created two two segments of time. There is time in which we enter into this darkness, into this blurriness, into this concealment. And in that dark time... We have to do work. And we're permitted to do work and we should do work. And then there are times that we're not within this concealment. The partitions part, we're in front of God. And that's every time that's not the six days. The six day period is the period of that concealment in which you do work. Anything outside of that six day period, which includes all Shabbases, Yom Kippur and all the holidays. That's outside of that zone of concealment. And it's all one idea. All, they all carry the same essence. They're not within the divine concealment. So it's a different zone of time. You're in a time, I, if so, what's with the rest of the world? Uh, only the Jewish people. The rest of the world remain with the blindfold even during Shabbos, even during holidays. So they have no prohibition. They're doing nothing wrong. A non-Jew who drives his car or does, who's hauling his pickup truck or doing whatever he's doing, nothing wrong. Because the king is he's not in front of the king. We enter into a different zone on Shabbos. A zone of divine revelation. And the same is on the holidays. So not working on Shabbos is not just a prohibition that's each and don't work on Shabbos. On Shabbos you're in a different reality. That's the idea. Shabbos, we're all in a different reality. The world we live in is a world that's filled with God's presence. He's right in front of our eyes. In front of Him, how can we do anything but sing to Him, 
praise him, serve him, connect to him. The only thing to do outside of, outside, when we're not in that, in that state of concealment, in the Sheshis Yaman state. And that's the emphasis over here. This is what this Pasek gives us. It defines reality of the time that we're living in. A time of, and really, now to go a little deeper into it, what's the real depth of it? The depth of it is like this. During the weekday, during the six days, because God gets concealed, within us, we begin functioning from our bodies. Our body is existing in a frequency of divine concealment. So during the six-day, any six-day period, which, which excludes Shabbos and any holiday, our primary consciousness is our physical consciousness. And our physical bodies are in a state in which they are um, under, under the, the dominion of nature. And what does nature mean? A place where God is concealed. God is still running everything, but in a concealed state. That's when we're living and functioning and experiencing existence through the eyes of our body. But even while we're experiencing that, our soul is beyond that. Even during the weekday, and even during the Sheshes Yaman period, our soul is above it. Because for our soul, there is no concealment. Our soul is in the place where it sees God everywhere. But we as human beings are not operating on soul consciousness. We are operating on physical consciousness during the week. Shabbos, we become different people. See, before I spoke about the difference between Shabbos and the weekday as the world being different, but it also parallels a shift that's taking place in each and every one of us. What's the shift? On Shabbos, our soul becomes the dominant being in our existence. We experience life and existence through our soul, not through our body. Our soul sees God everywhere. So we're outside, so we're in a different zone of time. We're in soul time, not body time. We're in a different, we're in a different frequency. And when we're in that frequency, you can't work. You're not allowed to work. You shouldn't work. Not, there's two things. First of all, you're not allowed to work because it's a rebellion against the king when you're standing in front of a king and you're taking care of your own business, number one. Number two, there's no reason to work if the king is standing there and giving you whatever you want, whatever you need. It's coming directly from the king. What's the point of doing work? It's futile. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why we know that Shabbos, we are called Yaakov, Sorry, we are called Yisrael. And in the weekday, we are called Yaakov. Yaakov is the name of the Jewish people as we are concealed within nature. Where our body, the word Yaakov means Yud Ekev. Our soul is in the heel. The heel is covering, concealing on our neshama. And on Yom Tif, we are called Yisrael. Shabbos and on Yom Tif, we are called Yisrael. Yisrael means lirosh, to us ahead. This is Akev, the heel, and this is the head. Two levels of time, two levels of reality. Ultimately, however, 
since our soul lives in a higher place, and every Shabbos we tune into our soul consciousness and enter into an entire other, into another reality, slowly but surely, our Shabbos reality begins to impact our weekday. The more we keep Shabbos, the more we tune into Shabbos, the less concealments there are in the weekday. And what happens is during the weekday, we don't get anxiety when we don't see immediately how our parnas is happening or this. We're calm, we let God, because we know that even when we are doing what, even when we're going to work, we're really only playing a game. Because we remember from Shabbos, our Shabbos consciousness influences our weekday consciousness. Our soul consciousness begins to rub off on the days when we are very physical. Slowly but surely, there is a, we brighten up our physical bodies and our physical consciousness. As we complete, as we have weekday Shabbos, weekday Shabbos, weekday holiday, weekday Shabbos, weekday Shabbos, weekday holiday, what it ends up doing is that the two realities don't remain anymore split as two separate things. They begin to converge with each other. And finally, once our body catches up with our soul, once the weekday catches up with Shabbos, we will live in a day of Yom Shekuloi Shabbos. That it's going to be completely Shabbos because even the weekday is, we have polished the world and polished the concealments that they're not blocking anymore. They become transparent. And we begin seeing through the veils of the weekday because they're not concealing anymore. And we begin to see Shabbos light. So when Mashiach comes, Shabbos will engulf the entire week. We won't have any more Rosheshes Yamim reality of time because all of time is going to be Shabbos and then we don't have to work because God has been feeding us all along so why shouldn't he feed us without us having to play this game game is over because we've already it's hide and seek we found him already so we don't play anymore game is over it's done why look for him when he's out in the open may we merit to see him out in the open already now and we should live in this Shabbos estate forever and ever.
Oh, yeah. 